Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you um, haven't been coming here, we were going through this treatise, the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life by Shanti Deva, who lived in eighth century, uh, and is uh, is really um, uh, well. It's a profound writing on the Bodhisattva ideal of how we practice not only for ourselves but for everyone in our life. Uh, and as I've mentioned a few times, it, it is the uh, it's the text that the Dalai Lama says uh, he learned everything about compassion from this text. So it seems like a useful thing to check out. Uh, And I've been using, uh, after the first couple of weeks, I've been using Pema Chodron's really excellent um, book on her commentaries. It has the whole... uh, the whole treatise in it and her commentaries and her book is called No Time to Lose. It's really excellent. Uh, so we've been looking at, so far, the, uh, the, the chapters that we've, we've talked about, developing a clear intention for this ideal of practicing for others as well as for ourselves, preparing the ground transcending hesitation, making the vow to do this, using our intelligence to see how we get caught, taming the mind, disciplines that help us tame the mind, and working with anger, particularly patience. Um, And now we're up to enthusiasm. There are all of the, the ten chapters fall into three main sections. The first section is connecting with this ideal of bodhicitta, the awakened heart, or a spirit of awakening. Um, The next three sections, or the next section, I should say, of uh, those chapters is um, how we can keep from diminishing our enthusiasm for that idea. What gets in the way and and how we can keep it from, from waning And then this chapter starts the last section, which is how we can keep our practice growing, particularly along the lines of practicing for others as well as ourselves. And as I said, this chapter is uh, enthusiasm or zeal. Um, And I'm curious, um, how many people have had real enthusiasm for practice. It's okay if you have, like, well, I'm just kind of checking it out. Right? How many people these days have enthusiasm for practice? Okay, wow, fabulous. All right, so I want to ask you, before we hear Shanti Deva's uh, wisdom on this, what supports your enthusiasm? First, why do you have enthusiasm? And uh, what supports it? What's keep, what keeps that flame alive, your uh, care about your practice? And I'd like to take a few comments. Maybe um, here, if you can. Uh, let's see. Thanks. Why don't you say your name, too? As you, yeah. My name's Pilin. Say again. Peeling. Peeling. Yeah. Um, Real close to you. Yeah. I was just going to say need. Need. Yeah. Say more. Um, Just like with anything that you're really into, it it seems like you really need that in your life to to support you. And so it, it gives you something, it gives me something that is very satisfying and it, it, it fills something that is really necessary for me, so mm-hmm. um, so that feels really good. So you want to keep doing it more. That's Great. How I feel. So it feels satisfying, and you feel that it's it's a need that you that you want to give yourself. Right. Thanks. Others, a few comments. Yeah. 
Hi, my name is Tony. <clears throat> and uh, at the beginning, the interest was uh, all this curiosity and all this phenomena that happened when I closed my eyes and listened to to whatever came. Um, it was incredible. I did a lot of grieving, heavy grieving for months mm. as I closed my eyes and, and I tried to stay in the moment and a lot of suffering went through me. Mm -hmm. But then came a period of sort of boredom mm -hmm. with it where I even stopped meditating on a daily basis. I'm talking years. And mm -hmm. then I started, as I turned 30 some years old, I started turning very neurotic and addictive. And nowadays, I, my enthusiasm comes because if I don't do this, generally I become very self-destructive. But, you know, it's a case in particular. Uh, I am an alcoholic too, so... Mm -hmm. This supports my 12-step program mm -hmm. big time. Mm -hmm. It's part of my 11th step. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, and, and what you describe is something that probably a number of us can relate to. You go through different phases. You might find, oh, this is so great, and then it can get bored, boring. The honeymoon period starts to fade, and... You're not in the honeymoon anymore, and you say, oh, I don't know if I need that stuff, and then it's like, whoa, I think I might really need this stuff, and you're, when the motivation is there, it, there's a whole other relationship to, to practice, and for you, it sounds also like you're, there's a need that you see it will support. And, and there is also love, and, and nice, you know, it feels really beautiful when we're together, and, you know, I mean, uh, over the years... Sorry. Um, so it's not just that, of course, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but the problem is that for some crazy reason, what I need to do with my with myself and my life, I tend to leave it last, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I always count on desperation to bring me back. Mm. Desperate when all else fails, desperation. Okay, yeah, uh, yes. Hi, my name is Joe. And, um, Speak it real close to your lips. I'm very new to the practice. And two of the things that I notice has been very helpful for me is that um, when I can sit in silence for short periods of time, I have a very busy mind, and I'm working on that, is that it um, reduces my uh, stress level a lot. Reduces your stress level. And which is very good. I have a stressful job. I have a lot of things going on in my life, and um, so that's helpful. And what I've also noticed lately is that it also boosts my self-esteem. Mm. You and feel I, better about I yourself. I feel better about myself. Isn't and, that uh, interesting? How many people feel better about themselves when they're yeah, practicing? So that, that's, yeah. a, that's a good thing. Yeah, it is. Great. And the others that we, we, we could just take a... If something hasn't been said, something else that... Uh, just keeping yeah, the theme okay. of people oh, talking sorry. on this side of the room here. Okay, next we'll go over there. Yeah, one last one. Yeah. Um, Real close. I, I find that, uh, you know, uh, the the peace that comes from the mindfulness in my meditation is such a quiet good that it doesn't always call me to do it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, when I when I am doing it regularly, uh, I I find that it just sweetens everything else in the day. Even even the bad parts, and it's um, it's good enough that it keeps me coming to it. But um, yeah, mm -hmm. so it affects everything else in your day. That's a pretty good reason. Okay, great. And if you could bring it over to, hang on, so that we can uh, hear you, because it's being. Uh, it's okay, it's being recorded too. And speak right into it. I've just begun a new profession where I am um, listening to people um, and working in a sort of counselor capacity. And this is all very new for me. I'm a very feeling person. I'm somebody who can get hijacked by feelings, by mm -hmm. intense feelings and reactions mm -hmm. to events, people, things. And I'm coming to this practice... Um, tonight, when I was sitting, I had this sort of flash. It was just a thought, but of, of develop, developing equanimity by sitting and developing a way to be with people and really hard problems of suffering and poverty 
without getting so pulled in that I lose my ability to be helpful for them. Mm-hmm. So um, to develop equanimity. To develop equanimity. Great. Thanks. Isn't it mysterious how many different ways the, the practice can can benefit us? And when you think about it, what are we doing? We're just stopping, getting quiet, trying to pay attention. Often it seems like we're wandering everywhere. Not much is happening, one would think. And yet, there's all these benefits. I need it. It affects everything else in my life. It can help me deal with stress. It uh, gives me some equanimity. So many different ways, just by this mysterious process of just sitting and being quiet. I see you want to take the mic. So one last one. Now we're going. Real close to you. Oh, is it on to you? my day sitting it changes how my whole day is so sometimes I have to get up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning to have time to sit before I go to work because I start at 7 mm-hmm. um, wow. so sometimes it's hard to do that but if I don't I regret it mm-hmm. that I need it to make my day better and so that keeps me going back mm-hmm. great thank you yeah, and when it changes, I remember the first time when, when I was starting to, um, to practice, you know, everything made complete sense. I was so moved by the teachings. But I thought to myself, well, do I really have to do the meditating part? You know? <laughs> so I think I got the idea. Just, just pay attention. Just, just be present. And I found I really did. And as you're saying, the, the quality of my life was so, is so different when I take that time. And when it changed from doing something because it was good for me, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's good for you, you know, to doing something because I wanted to give that to myself, um, that, that shifted things. Not, oh, I've got to do it. Oh, I really want to do it. And if sometimes if I'd have a hard time giving myself a gift, I'd think of it as realizing that everybody else in my life would benefit from it. So it, it was easier sometimes to give them a gift, even if they didn't know I was meditating. I knew that they would appreciate it. Um, and so just to look at our, our motivation for, for doing this. So this enthusiasm... Mm-hmm. We can get some people are naturally enthusiastic, uh, and in the in the Theravadan, this is from Tibetan uh, teachings. In the Theravadan set of teachings, there's um, this list of bases of fuel for practice, bases of success, the, the idipadas, and one particular idipada that fuels our practice is called chanda idipada or zeal, enthusiasm just as uh, Shanti Dave is talking about. And there are, it's just that some people have a temperament that says, yeah, let's go. You know, not everybody. There's other people who don't have that at all, but by, might be motivated by, whoa, we better get going, you know, or else. Not, yeah, but, yeah, let's get on with it. And other people who have a temperament that say, it's good for me. I'll just hang in there no matter what. Virya Idipada, who just have this heroic effort and like the challenge, but it's not coming from a passion or enthusiasm, just a, a real dedication. This is good for me. Well, if you, whatever your motivation is, there can be an enthusiasm that says, I want to do this. And for different temperaments, you might relate to it in different ways. Some get so gung-ho that they go overboard and might burn themselves out, as can easily happen when the honeymoon peaks and it's short and then, okay, well, that didn't last. Some people, it's a, it's a slower-burning fire inside, fire in their belly or in their heart. This is something I, I love. Um, she quotes Suzuki Roshi, who says... What we're doing here is so important, we had better not take it too seriously. 
So along with, along with your enthusiasm, it's really important to keep a spaciousness, to keep a light touch, so it's not like, yes, I'm, I'm gung-ho, married to the Dharma, and the honeymoon lasts a short time. And to, to really let it be a, a, a joyful experience. I'll read a, a, some of the, some Shantideva. He starts by talking about different kinds of laziness that get in the way of our, of our enthusiasm. I'll read the, the first opening. Thus, with, with patience, I will bravely persevere. Through zeal it is that I shall reach enlightenment. If no wind blows, then nothing stirs and neither is there merit without perseverance. So he's talking about perseverance and zeal. Now, here's the different kinds of laziness. Three. Heroic perseverance means delight in virtue. Its contrary may be defined as laziness. An inclination for unwholesome ways, despondency, and self-contempt. So, three kinds of laziness. That is, um, not being willing to make the effort. Laziness, okay. Uh, there's, from just saying, oh, I don't know. It's, it's so comfortable in my bed. Do I really have to go over there to my cushion or my chair? You know, Anybody ever get that? That impulse, you know, is the uh, overcoming the inertia. Then there's the kind of laziness that comes from um, a loss of heart, despondency, okay, where you just, for whatever reason, there's doubt, there's a feeling of, oh, what's the point? I don't know if anything good will come from this, or gosh, I, I. You know, I don't want to, you know, look at my mind. You know, you just, when you lose heart, it's a kind of doubt. It's the doubting mind that gets in the way, and it just cuts through everything. That can keep us from practicing. Then there's self-contempt. Probably one or two minds here knows, knows that. When the judging mind gets in and, you know, what do you think you're doing? You know, you call yourself a Dharma student, you know. You call yourself spiritual, you know, get off it, right? And then you just don't even want to look at your mind because it's just too painful to do that. All of these things get in the way of our enthusiasm. I'm remembering um, Pema Chodron's teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, who I, I spent some time with my first five summers of... Uh, of getting in, falling in love with the Dharma, we're out at Naropa Institute, and this teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, who was eccentric, crazy wisdom, iconoclastic, out, just really bent all your ideas of, of what a great spiritual master was like, um, but was absolutely brilliant. And um, I go to these lectures scratching my head, so is this the spiritual master? But every talk, I'd come away, he'd say a gem. I still quote him 35 years later, like, wow, he was tapped into something. And I remember one, one talk, uh, I'm just remembering, he, says, um, he said, if there's a conflict between you and the Dharma, chances are the problem doesn't lie with the Dharma. We have this approach avoidance relationship with our cushion or our, or our chair. And it's, we can think, oh, the Dharma is just, it's just too painful to, or just it's, just, it's just not working for me. But really, we have to take a look at what's inside of us that gets in the way, where we lose our, our greatest ally, the thing that inspires us most and nourishes us most. What gets in the way? And any one of these just being kind of comfortable or loss of heart or self-content despondency. 
Okay, so now, what wakes us up? What wakes our enthusiasm up from that laziness? Well, he says, take a look at things and see, you don't have much time here. That's, that's one of the big ones. One of the four mind changers, as they're called, when you wake up, you look and realize our life is short. How are you going to spend your life? Death is a very potent reflection to get your energy up. I'll read a few of his passages, Shanti Davis. Mm. Snared by the trapper of defiled emotions, enmeshed and taken in the toils of birth, how could I not know that thus I've strayed into the mouth, the very jaws of death? And he, he's talking to himself as he says this. Don't you see how one by one death comes to claim your fellow men? And yet you slumber on so soundly like a buffalo beside its butcher. Isn't that a great image? Oh, this is so comfortable, you know. <laughs> not realizing right next to you. And, and as I say, he's talking, this is, he talks, he's giving this talk to this audience at Nalanda University, but he's talking about uh, to himself. It's kind of like an inner pep talk as well as to them. All paths of flight are blocked. The Lord of death now has you in, its, in his sights. How can you take pleasure in your food? How can you delight to rest and sleep? Death will be so quick to swoop on you. Gather merit till that moment comes. Wait, wait till then to banish laziness. Then there will be no time. What will you do? So, a very, a very big motivation. And uh, uh, Pema Chodron has this uh, has this great uh, she mentions about this wonderful cartoon that I just have to share that she saw called uh, was it's called reasons not to meditate first there's drawing of an infant and the caption says too young <laughs> then there are students parents with children people at work um, with the caption too busy the next drawing is an elderly person with the words, too old. And finally, there's a corpse with the message, too late. <laughs> we can have all kinds of excuses, but when you see, whoa, what am I doing with my life? It gets you going. And this, is, this leads to the, the second of the mind changers, the precious human birth. Yeah, there's death just down the road, and what are we going to do with this, what does she say, one precious, uh, what, what is Mary Oliver's line with this one? With this wild and precious life, yeah. So here's a, a, a couple of stanzas on this precious human birth. Take advantage of this human boat. Free yourself from sorrow's mighty stream. This vessel will later be hard to find the time, this vessel, this human body, the time you have now, you fool, is not for sleep. Again, he's saying this to himself. You, he, he both says he's hard on himself sometimes, and then he's very, very tender with himself. He, he runs the whole gamut. You turn your back upon the sacred doctrine, upon the Dharma, the supreme joy and boundless source of bliss. What pleasure can you have in mere amusement, straying to the causes of your misery. You know, we get lost. And uh, we all get lost, don't we? All of us. Just get a little sidetracked. Uh, and you can, you can get lost for a while, but I think that once you've really been touched by the Dharma, there's something in you that that doesn't quite forget. Even if you're lost for a while, the seed is there. Jack Cornfield tells this story of, of uh, being with this fellow who did a couple of retreats and then 
years he went by without practicing. And then he had this um, emergency operation. They, they took him in as he was close to having, he had a heart attack and close to dying. And he spoke to Jack afterwards and he said, you know, I hadn't practiced in, in years, but when I was there on that gurney waiting for them to take me in, the only thing that mattered was the practice that I had done years back. So it's in there, you know, why wait until the end? Um, here's a, a little on... Uh, antidotes to this, um, to this laziness and particularly the self-contempt. This one stanza. Do not be downcast. Here's where he's kind of giving himself a little pep talk. Do not be downcast, but marshal all your strength. Take heart and be the master of yourself. Practice the equality of self and other. Practice the exchange of self and other. So he's saying, first of all, it's okay. Take heart. You've got what it takes. Practice mastery of yourself. Take heart. You can be the master. See yourself just like others. You're not so different from them. And you, the more you can see see that you don't have to put yourself down and thinking, I'm not good enough. You're as good as anybody. And then you can actually have the, do the practice of sharing, of actually being of benefit to them. When he says exchanging of self and other, he's talking about the practice of Tang Len, where you, you can actually even take others' suffering in and send out compassion. That you have what it takes. Don't believe that idea that you're not good enough. Here's, again, not being stopped by self-contempt. Oh, but how could I become enlightened, you say. Don't excuse yourself with such despondency. The Buddhas who declare the truth have spoken and indeed proclaimed that if they bring forth strength of perseverance, oh, that if they, br- that if they br- bring forth strength of perseverance, the very bees and flies and stinging gnats or grubs will find with ease enlightenment so hard to find. He's saying, you know, don't give that excuse, you're not good enough. If bees and gnats and stinging f- and, and flies and grubs gave their all, they too could be enlightened. That's what the, the, the Buddha's and bodhisattvas say, able to distinguish good from ill if I, by birth and lineage of humankind, devote myself to bodhisattva training, why should I not gain the state of Buddhahood? You know, the, the flies and the gnats, they can't discern. I even have the capacity to discern. So if they can do it, I can surely do it. Okay? Don't be stopped by your mind. Don't be discouraged. Here's a few other verses on discouragement. The hardships suffered on the path to Buddhahood are different, for their span is limited and likened to the pain of an incision made to cure the harm of hidden ailments. The doctors and those skilled in healing arts use bitter remedies to cure our ills, Likewise, we, to uproot dreadful sorrow, should bear what are indeed but little pains. He says, you're going to go through hardships. Don't get discouraged. Don't think, oh, it's not working. Those are all part of the process. And if you see that they can help heal you, help give you further strength and courage, it's like just a a remedy to cure your ills. With antidotes of extreme, yeah, and yet the supreme healer does does not use supreme healer like the Buddha or Bodhisattvas, like them these common remedies. And yet the supreme healer does not use like them these common remedies. 
with antidotes of extreme tenderness, he soothes away intense and boundless suffering. Extreme tenderness, that's part of the, that's a major remedy. Our guide instructs us to begin by giving food or other little charities that later, step by step, the habit once acquired, we may be able to donate our very flesh. So he's saying, just do a little at a time. You know, the bodhisattva ideal is to be of service to all beings and to, some would say, postpone your enlightenment. There's different ways of interpreting that. But to give everything of yourself so that others might benefit. He's saying it's a gradual path. You do it a little at a time, so you start with just being, you know, giving the guy on the street, you know, a quarter or a buck or whatever, and you give a little here and there. He's saying, that's okay. You keep on practicing that way. Don't think you're going to save all sentient beings all at once. But you just practice and know that if you're facing in that direction, you keep on um, developing. Then it gets into the three causes of happiness in doing this practice. Merit is the true cause of the body's ease, while happiness of mind is brought about by training. What can sadden those who have compassion, who linger in samsara for the sake of beings? So that's three different things that inspire him. Merit, that is, in your doing good works, your karma, you're accruing very good karma, and that will be very beneficial for you. So you want to be kind and generous because you're developing very good karma. Not a bad thing to have. Then there's a happiness brought about by training the mind, by being able to let go of your ideas, of fixed ideas, and the ways that your mind gets snagged. That's another really good motivation. Besides good karma coming, it's like, oh, I'm starting to see clearly how good that feels, as somebody here said. Oh, I start the things start to be clarified. I can get some equanimity. I'm not so confused. Very good motivation for practice. And then the last one, what can sadden those who have compassion, who linger in samsara for the sake of beings, ones who've taken that bodhisattva vow, who are staying here for the sake of everyone? He says, yeah, you're going to have your hardships, but that's the deal. How good you can feel about yourself that you're here, your life is about benefiting others. Three causes of happiness. Then he gets into the four strengths that support our enthusiasm. The forces that secure the good of beings, these are the four powers or strengths, are aspiration, firmness, joy, and moderation. Aspiration grows through fear of suffering and contemplation of the benefits to be attained. Therefore, leaving everything that is adverse to it, I'll labor to increase my perseverance. He's saying, okay, check out what happens if you're not practicing. This will give you your aspiration. Like, I really want to do this. You have a commitment. And then he says, through cheerful effort, keenness, self-control, through aspiration, firmness, joy, and moderation. Okay? So aspiration, and then there's a whole section on each of these, these, four, aspira- these four strengths of enthusiasm. Um, you, see, um, you see the problems that come, but you're not deterred that whatever, wherever you are is always the beginning. When you make that aspiration, you know when you make a commitment, 
to something. There's this, uh, I love this passage from uh, Scottish Himalayan Expedition, W.H. Murray. He says, when one makes the commitment, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help strengthen that decision. A whole stream of events comes forth that no one could have imagined would have occurred. There's that line. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or begin you can, or, or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Having that aspiration, you make that commitment to yourself, it really enlivens that sense of purpose. When you've made that promise to yourself, it gets you through the hard times. Mm. Another aspect of aspiration is your sincerity of heart. That's where you just get in touch with something really deep. You've heard that call and you put it out to the universe. So aspiration, firmness, which is a kind of steadfastness, determination. In, uh, in Theravadan practice, it's called aditana, or the perfection of resolution, resolve of mind. This is something that comes for some people that I will just do this. I'm just going to do it. And sometimes it seems like you're going to do it, and then that resolve starts to, starts to wane. You know, you might have all, as, as you were saying, all kinds of ideals. I'm going to sit every day. I just know I'm going to do it. If you knew how many people have come to retreats and said, you know, I'm just in love with this practice, but um, I really want to get back into it now that I'm on retreat. Um, because it's just kind of gone by the wayside. Trungpa Rinpoche, again, he says, um, once you start, think carefully before you start on this path. But once you start, it's best to finish. And he has this this image of, it's like you're on the operating table, and they're cutting cutting you up, and then you say... uh, Oh no, I don't think I want to go through this. And then you've got your, you know, your organs everywhere. You know, you're, you're just because once you start doing this, you just see everything, right? You see that mind of yours. You see that the 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 ways that you know you just don't want to look. Oh no, I can't. Be- better to just pretend it's not there. Except there's a price to pay for once you've once you've taken a look. You can't pretend. You don't know any better. And it, there you are. You've opened yourself up. Ooh, I don't know. Keep on going. You know, go for it. Go for the for the for the full the full trip and purify yourself. Then there is um, oh, there's a whole section on dealing with negative and positive pride. Okay. He says there's lots of kinds of pride. There's, some of it is not such good pride. Some of it is good pride. So I just want to read a, a few of these uh, passages on negative and positive pride. Before we do, I think it's a little stuffy in here. If we could um, open up, maybe open up uh, one of those windows and maybe open up a window on, on the side. Thanks. I opened up one. So, Thanks. I will do this. Uh, three oh, action, the afflictions, and ability. Three things to which my pride should be applied. That is, knowing skillful action, knowing how to deal with the afflictions, the, the torments of mind, and realizing I have the ability to do it. These three things to which my pride should be applied. I will do this. I myself alone. These words define my pride of action. And that's a good thing, where you have confidence. I will do this. 
positive pride. It inspires us. It encourages us. Not, oh, look at me, but yes, I'm going to make this commitment. And then he sees the difference between that and arrogance. When others give themselves to base activity, how can I connive as their companion? But I shall not refrain through pride or arrogance. My best way is to give up such conceit. You see others doing some unskillful stuff, and you say, oh, gosh, they just don't have it together. Ooh, you know. I do. You know. He says, no, I'll refrain through pride or arrogance. My best way is to give up such conceit. He says, don't get so haughty with yourself, but believe in yourself. Have confidence in yourself. This is a really important thing. Um, Let me see. Maybe I'll just move on. One other... uh, problem with arrogance. Here, I'll just read a few more. To those whom arrogance and pride destroy are thus defiled. Those whom arrogance and pride destroy are thus defiled. They they lack proud confidence. They fall into the power of an evil pride. But those with true pride will escape the enemy. When arrogance inflates the mind, it draws it down to states of misery, or else it ruins human birth, should thus be gained Thus one is born a slave, dependent for one's food. If you get to be born a human and you get arrogant, you'll just lose the the opportunity. Or feeble-minded, ugly without strength when you have pride, the butt and laughingstock of everyone. People don't like you when you're going around that way. Hapless creatures puffed up with conceit. If these you call the proud then tell me who are wretched. How do you know the difference between healthy pride and arrogance? When you say, hey, I think I can do this. You can say the same words, hey, I can do this. Or, hey, I think I can do this. Same words, just light years away from each other. How do you, where does the confidence come from that's not wrapped up in a sense of self? How does that, does that work? Anyone? How is it that you can believe in yourself without being cocky? while still being humble. What does it take? Uh, you can just um, be quiet about it. You can be quiet about it? Okay, but what, 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 what's the difference? How is it that you can go from one to the other? Yeah, real loud. You can just... Okay, a healthy dose of humility. It's the gifts in everyone. It's like, where do those gifts come from? Can we say, hey, look at me. I've got a pretty good loving heart. You know? <laughs> where did that come from? Can you say, hey, I got it, you know, and, and you don't. My, my unconditional love is better than your unconditional <laughs> love. Yeah. Or whatever gifts you've been given... They're gifts. They're gifts. And to take ownership of them is, is really missing the point. Yeah. Yes. How about a sense of balance? Sense of balance? When you're feeling down, like you build yourself up in times when you're feeling down, but then when you're feeling good about yourself, then just to remind yourself that you're not, you're not the best person in the world. There's other people who are just as good. Mm-hmm. Things that keep mm-hmm. you being 
Mm, great. A sense of balance. When you're down, you need a little bit of a pep talk. When you're, I, I believe it's also good when you're really there and on a roll to just feel the grace of it and see, you know, in a moment it can change. And it can. You ever have that feeling where, you know, hey, I think I got my life together and the universe comes along and, you know, bops you on the head. In a moment, it can change. And to still feel that confidence. Okay, we're, it's almost, we're almost running out of time, but um, I'll say a little bit about joy. Like those who take great pleasure in their games, the bodhisattvas in their every deed will feel the greatest joy, exhilaration, pleasure that will never fade or pass. When you're giving yourself up for the benefit of others, there's a tremendous exhilaration that comes. And since, this is a famous image, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and since I never have enough of pleasure, he's talking about samsara, that you'll never get enough to satisfy you, and since I never have enough of pleasure, honey on the razor's edge. How could I have enough of merit, fruits of which are happiness and peace? Remember I mentioned that line Trungpa used to say, samsara is like licking honey uh, from a razor. You know, it tastes so good, mm, and we just keep on getting cut and hurt. Yeah. We're almost finished. The elephant, tormented by the noonday sun, will dive into the waters of a lake, and likewise I must plunge into this work that I might bring it to completion. Just like you're going into a cool lake from the scorched by the, by the, the heat of the sun. There's a joyful quality that, that we bring to practice. And then the last one, moderation. We have to pace ourselves and know our limits. If impaired by weakness or fatigue, I lay the work aside, the better to resume, and I will leave tasks completed, anticipating thus the work to come. Um, so you have to kind of know how to, how to take care of yourself in this process as well. I think I'll just stop here. And it ends with the, uh, a, some the attributes of enthusiasm being a kind of a spirit of lightness and a sense of urgency and how mindfulness is, uh, is really the thing that, the, the quality that develops all of these. Because as you, as you practice more and the mindfulness gets stronger, you see more, and when you see more, it becomes very exciting. And when it becomes exciting, you want to give your whole heart into practice. And the more you do, the more it begets itself. So it's, it's like this cycle that just builds on itself. Whereas if your practice is kind of off and on, off and on, and you feel frustrated and there you are, you know, the trouble is with, was with the Dharma, you don't see as much and you feel discouraged, then that source of joy becomes a source of frustration. So you can go either way but when you make that commitment to doing this, not just for yourself, but for others, there's a tremendous openness of heart that comes that keeps you looking and keeps things very exciting. We all know that we go through ups and downs and plateaus. It's not that you're doing anything wrong with it, but to really freshen and awaken that spirit of enthusiasm this is a gift that everybody benefits from. So um, it's about time to go. I would encourage you this week to see what does, in fact, before we, just one last reflection before we, we close. Just think, what is it that brings enthusiasm to your practice? It might be, getting in touch with your aspiration, or it might be a steadfastness, it might be just giving yourself that gift, it might be giving yourself a break when you're trying too hard. What will give you some 
juice for practice. Just see this week what would help you keep sitting, keep looking at your life in terms of the Dharma lens, and just give that to yourself. might even have an image of yourself getting all juiced once again. And then just uh, give that to yourself and everybody else. And we'll close with some loving kindness. Feel your own sincerity and bring your attention to the heart center And breathing in kind, benevolent energy, wish yourself well. May I have real peace in my heart. May I grow in enthusiasm for practice. May I share my love well. And then to extend to everyone here and all beings, may all find peace. May all feel the joy of waking up. May all share their love and their kindness well. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and peaceful. Thank you very much. Have an enthusiastic or whatever week you have. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.